It's rush number 10, I think. Double digits, baby. Double digits in the Podman Rush. And here in mid-December, with temperatures around the 80s, to talk Stars Hockey and Chell Puck, uh, and global puck tourneys as well, perhaps, from Stars pre-post and in between on the mighty Marconi winning ticket, Bruce Levine. Bruce, thanks for joining me. Razor, I'm honored to be here. Obviously, this is quite a thrill, and I just need to know, did everyone else cancel? Did, For what? Before I got here, did everyone cancel this week? Oh, or my God, Did no. people come down with the uh, Omnicron? Or? No. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. It's perfect to have, have you on with some positive and some negative going on with the stars, and you guys have had to set it up and then parse it after and what have you on, on the show. Uh, but I'm going to start with you. You pack a lot into your Twitter bio. So which which part of past lives do you look back at most fondly? Uh, it depends on who I'm talking to. Uh, five minutes ago, we were discussing the Louisiana ice skaters and the mayhem of the ECHL. I think that's the most documented as far as uh, YouTube videos and fights are concerned. It really was a lot of fun. And then, you know, I broke into Channel 8 and that was, you know, I hate to say this, but I broke in when Vern Lundquist was still doing local TV. I, You're I aging yourself. Yes, I eclipsed. I sort of came over the last 10 months. And the stuff that I learned from him and then George Reba and Dale Hansen and the things we did back then stick with you. you know, the journalism stuff that, you know, back then local TV news did journalism. Right. And like, for example, that 30 for 30 on SMU. I didn't have to watch it. I lived that every day. So that goes out as well. But every stop along the way, and you know this in your hockey career, every stop along the way, you meet people and you learn things and you take fun and great things from that. Uh, Jeremy Roenick was in town a few months ago for that tournament, the Big Heart tournament. You were there at the at the kickoff yeah, well, event. We, we dove into a pretty big, significant hit back in the day with Jeremy. Yeah. And the first, I'd never met Jeremy. So what's my opening? He comes over, I'm Jeremy Mark. And the first thing I said is, how's Trevor doing? And he's like, you know, my brother, well, I was with his brother in, in Little Rock. So, you know, in hockey, I always like to say there's in real life, there's six degrees of separation. I think in hockey, there's three that everybody knows somebody who knows somebody that can immediately keep a conversation. Right. With. And the great thing about our sport it's probably in every sport, but I do know this in this sport, is that you can have a friend that you were really tight with on a team or uh, on, a, on a broadcast crew years, eons ago, and there's no contact at all, really, in between. And then you meet up with one another, and it's like the day that you last saw one another. And I always got a kick out of how wives didn't understand that. It's like, how could you not call him and, and talk all the time and do it. I don't know. It's just a dude thing. We don't do that. And then you pick up and it, it's as if it was yesterday that you last saw one another. That's to me, hockey. See, that's the funny thing is one of the guys who was with us in Little Rock was a former roommate of yours. Chris Chahaki was our head yes, coach. Yes, the great Chahaki. I saw him. He was a, he's a scout for Edmonton. Saw him last week. You know, he's ripening through pictures of his kids. I'm showing pictures of mine. And last time we all saw each other, they were like barely out of diapers. Now, oh, he graduated college and here's my daughter at the bar. It's like, she's legal going to bar. Oh yeah, fine. It, it just takes so many years away. Uh, another thing is roller hockey. I was in Phoenix in RHI, Roller Hockey International, the best summer vacation with pay I ever had. And that's the reason my son goes to Arizona State because I had so much fun there. I was like, okay, let's let's check out 
Tempe. And I want to like come it. and visit you at school in Arizona, not uh, up in yeah. Minnesota Duluth. Yeah, I, I've done that. And uh, the pool at the house apparently is very nice and gets used a lot in December, from what there, I understand. There you go. Nice to see where you're, you know, you're lucky. Your daughter's got scholarships. You know, I have to see where I have to check where my investment is going. <laughs> and apparently it's going quite well from, well, good. from the other side of the view. Well, good, good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a resume that you're able to trot out. You've been with us for over a decade in the role that you're in right now. Uh, but you hail from uh, Brooklyn. Born in Brooklyn, so, went to high school in Long Island. So yeah. what was the what was the the journey to Here? Dallas? Okay, here's the journey. The journey quickly, quickly, quick. The quick journey is that uh, in the early '80s, the economy in New York was awful, and uh, my stepfather got a job down here, so moved down here. And the strange thing was, I needed one credit to graduate from. Texas University for Texas high school so I could go to college down here because it was a lot cheaper than New York because I was late getting here they said well you can do an internship somewhere well I got an internship at channel eight and it's like okay this is broadcasting this is what I want to do I'm not going back so did you ever get your credit I got the credit yeah, yeah. got the credit and uh st- but at that point I was like well I'm not going to go away to college I'm going to do this yeah I've got the job I mean I mean I'm literally in an office with Vern Lundquist, Dale Hansen, George Reba every day of my life. You know, my college. There's pro- your university. Exactly. I, I, my college professor told me I don't know how to write for journalism. I, I got a C in journalism. I've got an Emmy Award at the same time, but I got a C in college. So I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay here and do this. And then uh, just real fast, uh, around age 24, I came down with cancer and spent a year in cancer treatment. And after that, I decided, you know, I really love hockey. I want to pursue my dream. And that's when I decided I was going to leave TV and go pursue a hockey career. And that's the short of it. Good deal. And I have not regretted the second. No. Isn't it funny how things happen, though, that come out of left field? Like, you could have moved anywhere. Your stepdad could have gone all over the map. Yeah. You end up in Dallas. You end up at Channel 8. Boom. Yeah, it, it's a quite the confluence of events. And, you know, again, you know, how did I wind up in, you know, in hockey? Well, the Central Hockey League came here with right. the Dallas Freeze. How did I get involved? Well, no one wanted to do radio. So I bought the rights and then went and bought radio time and then sold commercial time to pay for the radio time. You're a one-man industry it there, was. Bruce. And that's why I was at Channel 8. I was doing all that, and when somebody at Channel 8 had a connection with Pepsi, if you ever go to the State Fair Coliseum in Fair Park and see the scoreboard that has Pepsi all over it, that's us. We got the poor rights, which paid for the radio, which paid for the broadcast, and the rest is history. Now, what I hear uh, or remember or, or have been told from the games that were played there, most people did not drink Pepsi when they were at the game. They, they did not. They did drink, but it, it was not. It was not Pepsi. It was not carbonated. And that included the players at times, too. That was a very rough and tumble league. (laughs) And the the best part was when fans discovered that the chairs were not actually bolted down. So Mm. you you can imagine how they found that out. Fun to throw. Yes, and that was exactly it. They they had chair toss, and it wasn't during intermission. No, no. In-game activities. Yeah. All right, let's talk uh, our stars here. The Ben Bishop news is probably the biggest news of the last week. Uh, resolution, a little bit of resignation, some reality. Uh, it was rotten for me, and I think for most people to see a guy's career get cut short 
not that short, but still short and short of his his career goal. Uh, you rooted for him to come all the way back. I, I know how much work he put in to try to see whether he could overcome that chronic knee injury that he had and just couldn't do it. And so a very emotional press conference the other day downtown when he said, I'm I'm done. Uh, that's it. He's gonna, I was so glad he was going to stay or stated that he was going to stay in hockey. And that's one of the things I worried about. And you go back far enough that you can weigh in on this too, that when money got crazy in hockey, the common theory was that guys are not going to stay in the game. They've got too much money. Why would you stick around and coach or manage? And the reality is it's it's the same as it's always been. All those guys still remain in the game, or a lot of them, uh, in either coaching capacity or in management. Most of them would prefer to pick the groceries rather than cook things in behind the bench. Uh, but uh, he he's an intelligent, articulate guy that's seen a lot, done a lot. Uh, he's he's going to help some franchise, whatever he picks, to do uh, post-career. I hope he takes a little time first. I like... I like it when there's a little gap there where guys can kind of enjoy just not, and especially with him trying to come back from an injury like that. Uh, but it was it was tough to watch, right, with Ben? It's so tough because, as you know, and you've been with the Stars for the quarter of a century, finding world-class goaltending is not easy to do. And no slam against Kari. But when Ben Bishop got here, all of a sudden, you felt that any game was winnable. Uh, Kari had a very good career and played on some very bad teams where he had to be heroic for the Stars to have a chance to win. But when Ben Bishop got here, when the Stars made the trade, you felt with this goaltending, any game is winnable, any playoff series is winnable. That is hard to come by. When you look at the elite goaltenders of the world, there are few and far between. There are great goaltenders, and then there are elite. And Ben Bishop was elite. And when you look back at that that 934 save percentage mm. in, you know, 2018-19. Franchise uh, record. Yeah. And he had to beat Marty Turco's record. Yeah. And Marty was a pretty good goaltender. Yeah. You look at that and what he and Anton Hadobin did together, they gave the stars every night you went to the rink, you felt this is not going to be the reason we lose tonight. We have guys that are going to stop the puck time and right. time. Right. Well, you have back-to-back seasons where they lead the league in save percentage. Yeah. Two different guys. Right. Stunning. That it's, doesn't happen very much. No, and that's that's like having, you know, four elite starting pitchers, you know, every right. night out. Right. We have a chance to win. So when and of course game seven against St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, when you have Charles Barkley in the middle of a basketball broadcast talking about switch over to hockey, what this guy's doing is amazing. You know you've got something special. Uh you hate to see it. Uh, especially with Ben Bishop, you, you, Jeff K, our fantastic PA announcer, posted a picture on Instagram of Jeff K with his, with his Texas Tornado jersey on. I mean, he's been a part, one way or another, of North Texas in his roots for, for a long time, and he's been playing with that smile and that verve for hockey and the joy for the game. You know, some people come to the rink and they're sort of grumpy. You know, they're here, it's a job. But Ben always had a smile. He loved being here. And I first got to meet Ben... Five years ago, I was doing some work for ESPN and got to do an interview with him. And he could, you know, I had to do, they said, you can only do two minutes. Could have done 10 with the guy. I, I think he's going to be here. I think he's going to help the young, Jake Ottinger. He'll help tremendously as part of it. But, you know, as you know, Razor, there are two people that make the best color commentators in the world, goaltenders and tough guys, because they each get to see a lot of the game. I could see Ben Bishop moving into a role in TV as a broadcaster and be seamless about it. 
You hate to see this part of his career end, but if he wants to be in hockey, and I think people stay in it because they love the game and they love the culture and love being around the guys in the room, I can see Ben Bishop having a great career in anything he wants to yeah, do. Yeah, no no doubt, no doubt. The the goalie glut resolution came quick, though, didn't it, with both him and Hadobin? It, it wasn't quite Michael Corleone uh, with the fifth, what, the last 15, 10, 15 minutes of The Godfather when <laughs> they settled all family business. Yes. It, wasn't, it wasn't quite that, but right. in about 48 hours, they went from four goaltenders and a lot of questions about Stars goaltending and what was going to go on to, okay, here's Ottinger and Holtby and move forward. And as you know, this is a show business, not show friends. Everyone loved Anton Hedobin and what he did. I, I almost wonder, and maybe I'm getting out of my medical field here. When he came back last year, he mentioned we were doing a Zoom call, and he mentioned offhand, oh, I had this really bad case of COVID. I couldn't walk up the stairs. Do you remember? Were you on that call? Do you remember that? I listened, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, excuse me? You did what? You couldn't walk upstairs for three weeks? And he never seemed to regain form. I don't know if it was all the work in the bubble and then the quick turnaround followed by the illness, but he never seemed to be the same as he was during that fantastic run in the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately, as much as everyone loves Dobby and the, we're not going home, you've got to go with the two best goalies you have. And the guys who proved at the NHL level this year, far and away, were Holtby and Ottinger. Now, one thing about Anton Hedobin is he's a guy that worked his way up from you know Siberia to the NHL. I have no doubt in my mind he's going to go to Texas and give it, go down to Cedar Park and give it his all and try to get his game back. But, you know, every point matters and you've got to go with the two guys. You can't, you, stars don't have the the wiggle room to say, well, let's see if Dobby can play himself back into it. You need points every night out now. Yeah. And you just, you can't afford erratic. And unfortunately he became erratic. You, you really didn't know what you were going to get. You, you, especially when a team is like this team has been, you, you can't roll the dice at that position. You'd like to know what you have. Back to what you were talking about with, with Doby and, and Bishop previous to this, where you knew what you were going to get every night. It was going to be – you were, you, you were going to get better goaltending than, than – or at least as good a goaltending as whatever they trotted out at the other end. And uh, I, I think just the glut of goaltenders and the, the mental – uh, internal battle too probably affected things, but and wasn't it awkward at practice? You got three goaltenders trying to it always it, it it doesn't work, but it was. Look, I I understand where they're coming from because they didn't know what Bishop's future was. I don't think they fully trusted what Hadobin was going to be able to do coming back. Is he going to be able to bounce back or not? They go and they acquire Holtby, who's coming off two subpar seasons. Not all his fault, but the numbers dictated that this isn't the Braden Holtby that we saw in Washington for a long time. And then you had a young, relatively still unproven goaltender in Jake Ottinger. So, you know, it was almost like, let's just grab lots of eggs in the basket and we'll see which ones hatch. Yeah, and the two that hatched were Holtby and Ottinger. And unfortunately, you know, Ben could not recover. And I, I really hope Anton Hadobin plays great in Cedar Park and can regain his Well, form. there's one thing that we've learned watching things the last few years is that you need lots of goaltenders in the general population of the National Hockey League. Like the Buffalo Sabres have used eight. The St. Louis Blues have used five. Like it's yeah. staggering. 
And you know, if you can, if you know how to buckle up pads, I think you uh, have a shot right now. And if you're you're one injury away from needing, yeah, Anton Hadobin. So if he goes back down and grains his form, and something happens, you know, you call him back up. You have no reservations. So what do you make of these stars? Twenty six games in, and and hopefully eighty two plus to go. Well, I'm going to say it's a long season, which is good at this point. It seems to me that the Dallas Stars are a team that is a true front runner. They've won 13 games this year as of this recording. 12, they've scored the first goal. This is a Dallas Stars team that does not like to get out of its comfort zone. They have to play their style, their brand, and that's from in front. Uh, what scares me is the inability to come from behind or battle back from a deficit. Uh, this is a team that has to play their style, and it was great when you were getting, you know, Robo... Pavelski and Hint scoring the first goal 75 seconds in, setting the tone and going. But as we've seen the last few games... Yeah, that's not sustainable. No, it's not. So. That's that's the concern, is that when the Dallas Stars fall behind or have to play at a deficit, this team needs more scoring. It, it's the well, that's, de- why the scoring. They, that's why when they don't score first, right. they struggle. I know it's only one goal. It's the most bizarre thing in our sport. you know, Because it's not just here. I mean, it it's league-wide. If you look at the numbers on... Scoring first or allowing first. I mean, it's it's puzzling because you should have the ability, you would think, in this sport to overcome one goal. But teams don't. No. You I, score first, you win a high percentage of time, like over 70%. Well, look at the game the other night against St. Louis here. St. Louis has got 10 guys in the lineup. Or they lineup. did score first. Right. They, they didn't score lost. first, but because St. Louis scores first. You're defeating first. my entire premise here. Right. But because St. Louis gets the lead in the third period, they can play those 10 kids, tell them to run out there, hit people, don't worry about coming from behind and scoring because you have that lead in the third period. Now, a one-goal lead against a team that has 10 non-regulars in the lineup shouldn't be a daunting task. But St. Louis was able to play their system, keep things going, simply because they had the one-goal lead. We talked about this in the postgame show. Why was Barubi able to call a timeout during the power play to keep his number one unit out there? Because he had a one-goal lead. He didn't have to worry about using the timeout later in the game to come from behind. He could roll the dice and go for the kill. For the Dallas Stars, coming from behind seems to be a huge issue, except for the game in Vegas, which is a whole anomaly to himself. But L.A., you fall behind. You got tired legs. It's hard to come back. San Jose, you fall behind. You play great, but their goalie plays well. You've got to start getting goals and scoring from people other than the top three line. And especially with Rope hints out, it becomes even more glaring. Yeah, I mean, they're bewildering. uh, It bewilders me how inconsistent they have continued to be. Because, like, even on that that last road trip, like, some things happen that usually you win games because of. You score three power play goals in a game, you should win. Right. They didn't. They gave up a bazillion shots, and they got clobbered in the third period. The third period stuff is starting to worry me. Because they are getting, especially on the road, and now the other night they did it at home, where it it's just a... Uh, mismatch in third periods on the scoreboard. You know, they're, they're getting outscored by a ton of goals. And the old usual strengths uh, are not strengths right now. Like, they're, they're getting almost zip out of their decor as far as goal production or even offense is concerned. And, you know, Tyler and, and Jamie, who are in sort of support roles now, although Jamie's been thrust into another thing, and we'll get into Sagi here maybe in a second, 
they're they're just not getting enough out of that, and that's why when they get behind or the game isn't on power plays and they they don't get on the power play all that much to be able to just win games with that five on five five on five this is a multi-season issue now where they just they get tons of chances they always get chances but they don't score at the rate that they should when they get these opportunities and and I don't know whether it's a mental thing or or what it is with them now. Some of it's just individually driven, where guys just aren't playing to their potential. That's obvious. And it's a scary part if you look long-term for Dallas this season in the fact that you talk about the defensive scoring. Who had the best scoring opportunity as a blue liner against St. Louis? Hockenpah, who was about the last guy you want on the blue line getting the chance. If I'm St. Louis... Yeah, I'll give Hockenpah, if he's going to join the rush, I'll give him that every day of the year. But John Klingberg doesn't have a goal yet this year. That's bizarre, especially with as good as the power play had been for a long stretch of time. The other guy you didn't mention was Alexander Radulov. And last year when he went down, I felt the Stars lost two players, Alexander Radulov and Denis Gurionov. Gurionov has not returned to that form we saw a couple of years ago where he scored 20 goals. He can do it. So if Radulov and Sagan are overcoming injuries and maybe Father Time's catching up to them a little bit, the young guys need to step up. And I'm not seeing that. And Dennis Gurionov remains the biggest bafflement to me because Robey Hans, remember, he went up, he went down, had the epiphany of what I need to do to be a great NHL player and has done that. I think a lot of people thought Dennis Gurionov after that 20 goal season where he went down, came back up and was an offensive force, had that the, the one timer on the power play, scored the goal and sent the stars to the Stanley Cup finals. I think people were comfortable in the fact that, okay, Gurionov's figured it out. We got our our guy who's going to replace Radulov as the, as the wing scorer for this team. He's not there. Are Radulov and Sagan still fighting the injuries they had last year? Have they recovered? Or is this not a norm that they have? This is not a uh, aberration they have to get over the injury? Or is this really the, okay, this is what we're going to get out of them? Alexander Radulov has had one goal this season. You can't tell me anyone saw that coming this late into the season. Well, he, he hasn't shot a puck past a goalie yet. Yeah. It was just a deflection in front of the net. And Tyler Sagan has got Tyler's the... Tyler's maybe shot two past a goal. Right. One was the one-timer on the season, on the home opener against yeah, L.A. On the power play and a six-on-five in, in Columbus. Right. But we, we're, we're not seeing the... I, I like the fact that, yeah. he's, that he's scoring some get-to-the-net right. grease. Right. But you need some of the other, too, from him. Because, like, with Tyler, it's it's there. He's not old. He's no. 29. He hasn't turned 30 yet. Yes, he's coming off hip surgery and, and knee surgery. But something is just blocking him uh, from being able to play and produce at the level that he should be and can. And the Stars desperately need him. The, you talk oh. about the depth scoring. You know, as much as you want Radulov to score. Look, you just start adding. Just just sprinkle in a goal here and there from those three names that you just mentioned. And we would not be having this conversation right now. now when you're a 3-2 team, and the Stars are a 3-2 team. Stars get to three, they win. This has been the pretty much since Ken Hitchcock was coach four years ago. You get to three, you win. Because their goals, especially with Bishop and Dobin coming full circle of being two point or one point something, you get to three, you win every single time out. Okay, well, that's a power play goal and then two even strength goals. Stars are missing those two even strength oh, goals duh. every single night. Where's it? Who's going to step up and get that? It's not Michael Roffel's job 
That's not what he's here for. No, the, 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 the raffle, Luke Lendenning, yeah. you know, chip a goal. It's wonderful. It's like bonus stuff. Right. And you're certainly going to need that on the road when your top guys are going to face the, the best checking from the other side. But you need the guys that you expect to score at a certain level to score. Because for the most part, I know they gave up four at home the other night, but for the most part, if, if you just look at the performances combined of Holtby and Ottinger this year, they have almost league-leading numbers in goals against average and save percentage. So that ain't the issue. The issue is at the other end of the rink and whether they're producing enough offensively. And a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is just individuals are not playing well no. enough. When the Stars had that eight-game home winning streak, they allowed 11 goals against. Well, you know what? When you're giving up 1.3 goals a game, you're going to win a lot of hockey games. But when when are you going to win the 4-3 game? When are you going to go on the road and win the 3-2 game that you're leading 3-1 going in the third and you can play your style? Yeah, the goals need to come, and they need to come quickly. Uh, like I said, Klingberg, no goals this year. No one saw that coming. He's in, the, he's in a contract year. I think he still gets pucks to the net as good as anybody in the NHL on the power play. But why aren't they going in? Why is that not happening? Tyler Sagan, when was the last time you saw Sagan take a one-timer on the, you know, the left circle? When's the last time he's taken a one-timer on the power play? Which used to be, stores and up the power play, if you overload to one side, Sagan's going to burn you with that shot. Not happening this year. As you said, Radulov hasn't scored a goal past well, anyone. And then after a while, and you know this, the, the uh, mental demons start coming in, confidence wavers. You know, even if you get the puck in that situation, it's like, I don't believe this is going in. They get on a heater, and every time they touch the puck, they believe they're going to score. That's pro sports, yeah. sports in general. You're either confident that you're going to get it done, whether you're a goaltender, you're a guy on the power play, whatever it is, win faceoffs, doesn't matter. Uh, they, they, I'll say this beyond just the obvious that we've been talking about. They, they need a harder edge to how they go about things too. Like it's, it, it would be wonder, wonderful if they could score the pretties a little bit more, but they. They don't really uh, tick other teams off that much or their defense off that much. You would think a team like this, when they're, when they're going and they're fully healthy and, and they haven't been healthy for a little while because of this bug that's run through them, that with the amount that they have the puck in that, and Bones always talks about spending time in the offensive zone, and if you're in there, they should draw more power plays than they do. Like It's puzzling why they don't get on the power play more because – some teams have uh, big power forwards and, and a physical game and that, and, and that's their deterrent. The stars are set up, it seems like, their deterrent is the power play. You want to you run at us, you want to take runs at Klingberg and Haskinen and, and Jason Robertson and whoever else, you're going to end up in the penalty box and we're going to score on the power play and then we're going to knock you off your game because of that. But it doesn't happen enough. No, it doesn't. And Rick Bonus said the other night, I have to, I'm paraphrasing here. I have to check the tape to see if some people actually showed up and played because I didn't see them on the ice. That's a pretty damning statement that when you're playing a team that is coming out and their only mantra is to throw the body and play physical, one point in time in the first period hits, and I go, that's a subjective stat, was 13 to 4 to St. Louis and shots on goal were 8 to 2. Cause and effect here. You know, if you're getting pinned in and hit and run over, you're not going to have the puck. You're not going to be able to play in the offensive zone. You're not going to score. Well, when the puck does go down to the other end, what do you do? Do you battle? You know, as much as Radulov hasn't scored, I love the fight he showed every single game he's been out there. He's blocking shots, going the corner, hitting people. 
there aren't enough people who are willing to go into a corner and win that battle and go and do the nasty stuff. Go take the wax and the hacks and, and force the other team to take penalties and spend lots of time in their own zone to where they get tired and, and start hooking and tripping. The stars aren't, but this is something that's for two years now, the stars haven't drawn a whole lot of power plays, which for a team that's as good on the power play, you would think that would be a priority. Now, how do you do that? Well, puck possession is very important, but you also have to force the issue. It's another thing. It's one thing to have the puck. It's another thing to be on the perimeter. You know, if you're shooting, uh, I know analytics people love to talk about Corsi and, and that kind of thing, but if someone's taking a shot from outside the dots or back of the blue line, you'll take that all day. Are you willing to get the puck into the dirty areas where teams have to make a play, block a shot, take a penalty, you know, make a make a fantastic defensive play to break up a pass, the Stars have got to be willing to funnel that puck into the area and also, more importantly, get somebody there who's willing to do something if the puck gets there. Lots of outside action right now, which is not drawing a whole lot of you know, concern, as you said, from the other team's defense. Yeah, I mean, in spurts, they play that way. Right. But it's, it's just not, not elongated enough uh, with this group. For whatever reason, they just, you know, they, they get stopped. They do it for a while, and then they... Have they have sort of an epiphany, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's what we should be doing. And you're like, yes, that's you guys. You know, that's you guys. But then it it stops, and they get they play differently, and and that it's, I don't know, it's puzzling. It, I think it it puzzles everyone. And I don't the, think anybody has. A and that's full the frustrating answer. thing about Gurionov is he plays in L.A. and he's the best player on the ice for the Dallas Stars offensively that night against the Kings. Well, the next two games, I haven't noticed him. Like, why is that guy not showing up? The guy we saw in L.A., the guy that we saw scored 20 goals, why is that guy not showing up every night? If I could figure that out, you know, I'd be coaching somewhere, but I don't know. Well, no, we're doing a podcast instead. Uh, Let's move on. The dark art of the big debilitating hit is having a bit of a renaissance around the league right now. Uh, it's, It's now sporadic within the league. I mean, it used to be every game, almost every period that somebody just get rocked with the physical aspect of our game. It's too fast now. Guys don't want to get out of position. Uh, the type of defensemen that that are in the league for the most part now are puck-moving, puck-centric. They're, they're not big physical beasts that are just there to, to bang bodies in that. However, <laughs> Jacob Truba has gone old school lately. The hit on Jujar Kara, he hit Nate McKinnon the next night. Uh, and knocked him out of the game for a little while. The Lomberg hit on on McDonald. All of them looked looked fine to me. Like there was no head contact. Like th- there are concussions that come from just having your head jarred around, not necessarily taking the blow to the head. I'm not a doctor, but I do understand that your brain gets rattled around inside your your uh, skull. Uh, I don't want to see it. I, I hate, seeing it, but guys don't seem to be able to handle it or. Do you think it's a false sense of security, which would be understandable because there's not very many of these anymore that uh, is causing some of these guys to just get steamrolled? Yeah, I think it's a change in the game. And forgive me for saying this. I loved what Jacob Truba did. I love that. In the fact like he didn't even take a run at it. It no. was like two steps, shoulder right in the sternum, tried to drive it out right. the spine of the guy. And that's defensive hockey. That's back in the day. That's what you did as a defenseman. You had one guy that moved the puck and one guy that scared the crap out of the opposition. I'm fine with that. That's part of hockey. That's part of the game. Uh, yeah, because if you notice on the hits, the guys were not aware. And I hate to, I don't want to trash Nate McKinnon because obviously he's an amazing hockey player. Where was his head when he got hit? 
What was he looking at? He was not, didn't have the head on the swivel, wasn't looking. He wasn't expecting the hit, and the hit came. Uh, but things happen so fast. Right. They happen so fast. But I would say that players these days are not concerned about the big hit. It, I watch it at the youth level and, and the college level. College level is a little more hitting. Uh, but people are used to skating with the puck. They're used to having freedom. There's some space because the game is so fast yeah. that it's the man I'm at. I, I often made the, the comment that I, I see guys who are five foot seven now on the power play standing in front of the net because they're not going to get hit. So the game has changed a bit. And when someone does step up and makes the old-fashioned, I'm going to skate through you, not to, I'm not skating to the puck, I'm skating through you to get to the puck, people are flabbergasted that it still happens. They freak out. Where, yeah. where do you stand on the big hit followed by the fight? I think it's, again, go back to the day. This is where, where I grew up and the people that I rode the bus with and learned about. I don't think, if someone hits you clean, why is he fighting? Now, if someone takes a dirty hit, a, a run at somebody, tries to decapitate your best player, yeah, he needs to pay for it. But I understand why Truba had to fight because he hit McKinnon. But realistically, was that a dirty play? I don't like the fact that if you get a clean, hard check, which is part of hockey, that you immediately have to drop the gloves and defend the fact that you did something physical. You do something cheap, you stick someone, you blindside someone in the corner, you board someone, yeah then yeah, you should have to answer for it. But an open ice, clean hit? Last time I checked, this was still a contact sport at times. I mostly hate it, but the caveat is that who got hit? Right. And which one of your teammates was it? Some, some guys you can say, he can fight his own battles. And the thing that I don't understand is that sometimes these hits are like 10 minutes into the game. You've got 50 minutes left to get back. There's retribution. There used to be anyway. Right. But instead, it's like, well, we'll take the penalty right now. Go back to who scores first wins. Why would you do that? It's it's It used to be, now I'm speaking as a goaltender, and people are probably rolling their eyes because of that, but the, the idea was, okay, you got me. Get the number. Yeah. Get them back at some point in the game. Whereas now, man, a guy gets hit, and if he stays on the ice for one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, here comes somebody with their gloves off, and there's going to be a fight. Right, it doesn't make sense to me because it is. Now I understand. But the untouchables are the untouchables. McKinnon's been McKinnon. I get that. Yeah, there was a reason that Marty. Oh McSorley, my god! Yeah, there's I a reason. There should have been more. It should have been a riot when he got drilled. But again, it'd like, be the same thing here. Like if Miro Haskinen got unloaded on, I don't care if it's clean or not, coming through the neutral zone. Yeah, that guy better get. Right. Pummeled. There, there has to be retribution for that. Yes. But on the other hand, if you're playing a clean game, if you're playing a clean physical game, and I don't think that Truba knew it was McKinnon. He saw somebody in the other jersey getting the puck. He didn't, tar you know, if he targeted him, I get that. And I do get that Colorado has to answer. And I know that the boys in the room love the fact that immediately there was an answer that bonds the team together, that you're not going to go after our best player. But on an average day, if you, let's say, you know, you throw a clean check, you're right. There's 50 minutes. I also noticed that when goalies get run these days, there's not the, it used to be when you played net, someone ran you, that was a no-no. You don't touch the other team's Dr. goalie. Dr. Blocker would come out with yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. But now, now you run the goalie. Well, was it goalie interference? We're not sure of his intent. Things have changed. Yeah. You, it, it, I, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, someone touches your goalie in a non-pleasant way, they've got to be sent a message that- Those goalies are gods. Yeah. We know that. 
Right. Hey, does anybody else want to sit there and have pucks rattle at them at 95 miles an hour? We're guys. And every we're above, time we're above everything. We don't serve our own penalties. What was the what was the line Jacques Plant said that every time you make a mistake, 18,000 people cheer or boo? Yeah. That's a tough place to be. It is. It is. They you need to be protected. It. You move on. Uh, we're going to move on to coaching. Uh, you're a good guy to ask about this. The the coach recycling program in the National Hockey League. Look, there have never been more coaches in the NHL per team, right? Like you look behind benches now, there's four guys back there in suits. There was a time when there was just a head coach. Then there was a head coach and an assistant. Then there was a head coach and two assistants. And now you have you have four guys on the bench, another guy upstairs. You've got video coaches and goalie coaches and skill coaches and everything else. Uh, but the same names pop up in new locales to fill vacancies over and over. So I went, I went through this here. 18 of the current 32 head coaches coached another NHL team at some point. Every, every single coach in the Pacific division right now coached another NHL team. Seven others are assistants that were elevated to head coach on that team. Six other current head coaches were summoned from the NHL club minor league affiliate, American Hockey League uh, affiliate. So the only coach in the NHL currently that came from outside of the, the pro game and essentially just the NHL and the AHL is Andre Tourney with the Arizona Coyotes. That's it. Why is this? And do you think it's healthy? Well, well first of all, Arizona's got nothing to lose at this point. They can take that risk and and go with it. I don't think it's healthy, but I understand no one wants to be the team that goes out on the limb and has it backfire. Now, well, they've look, they've tried. Right. There there have been guys that have been hired from either junior hockey or from college hockey. Not much from Europe, which right. stuns me still, but because the first guy that came over from Europe and Elpo? coach it right how did that turn out <laughs> not well and that's but the appetite for that was uh, horrid at the time i know but that's the part of the problem as well we tried that yeah, we, but it's 2021 i get it i'm with you i get it but hockey is very slow to change the mentality obviously uh, yeah, well, I mean, look what i just read i mean look i, I like bruce boudreau i think he's a good guy i've known him since he was coaching the mississippi seawolves back in the 90s but is there anybody more are there other people who deserve chances the stars took a chance on jim montgomery and aside from the the issues off the ice that worked out pretty well that at least you look at the on ice performance it worked well why are there not more chances because the people that run hockey are afraid for the most part to try something new but they tried david quinn in new york does, didn't work uh Hackstall, but he's back in but he's back in now again out in in seattle did david quinn not work in new york because he wasn't a good coach or because the team that was on the ice was not capable of playing to the level or at least the physicality of that was what the Rangers said was we need a tougher team to be able to compete. Now you look at their results so far this year, maybe they were right. Yeah. They got Jerry Gallant there. Who's coached multiple NHL teams before. Right. I, there, there, there's two things that come into play in my mind with this. One is the, for whatever reason, the college game and the college coaching does not translate to the NHL pro game right now. 
And it's, but it should. It should, but college hockey has always been very conservative. Okay, here, here's my theory, and I'll let you, you go on it. So you look at the NFL now, and based it, based, it used to be the other way around, right? But now the NFL has basically adopted everything that goes on in the college game. Right. Uh, we don't adopt that much that comes out of college, I don't think, in the NHL game. There's probably some, but if there was – then you'd see this proliferation of college coaches being moved into NHL uh, head coaching jobs. The difference for me, though, is in, in college, it's still a practice all week, play on the weekend. The NFL practice all week, play on the weekend or on Thursday or on Monday. In the NHL, you play three games every seven days. In college, they play two games on the weekend and they practice all week. And I think there's a chasm between coaching that and coaching uh, – managing people, which you have to do more so than, than coach young players once you get to the pro level. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And let's face it, college to pro doesn't work so well. Ask Urban Meyer. It did not work out well. Fired today. It didn't work so well in Jacksonville. But the other- Well, even Saban, it didn't work. It didn't, didn't work. No, I mean, Jimmy Johnson was the only person that you really look at right. that went from college to the pros and made it work. But why? Look at us bringing it back to football here in Texas. Wow, we're good. But why does it work? Because <laughs> Jimmy Johnson had NH, NFL caliber players at Miami that he treated like an NFL minor league team. So he was able to make that jump because he was dealing with personalities, not so much. To bring it back to what college. What did they do I mean, at Miami again? <laughs> they, watch the documentary. They, they were allowed to do whatever they, they wanted. Did, as long as they showed up on Saturday and won, that's all that mattered. And that's pretty much, if you look at the Cowboys in the Catholics 90s. Criminals, yeah, <laughs> look, look at the Cowboys in the 90s. As long as they showed up on Sunday and won, it was fine. But you look at college hockey, it's very conservative. And, and consider this, Razor, for every Luke Hughes that plays as a freshman in college hockey at age 18, there are five guys who are playing at age 24 in hockey. You've got kids Right out of school, very few, playing against guys who have played, went from, you know, prep school or, or wherever, the you know, USHL to college. So you've got grown men playing with teenagers. So the college hockey mentality, for the most part, has been very conservative. We're not going to try to innovate. I remember guys coming out of college hockey and going to the pros who had a goals against of 1.4 his three years at Michigan State. I'm using, I'm not going to name a name, goes to the pros where people are actually shooting 30 times a game and the defense isn't locked down and his goals against was four. The college game is not innovative right now because you have such a wide disparity of people who are learning the game and people who have played the game and are basically at college because they don't want their career to end and they're having fun. And they're getting an education. It's a much different level. You have a huge chasm of people's physicality. You know, when you're 18 compared to 23, uh, I read the average age of an NCAA freshman now in college is 20.9 years old. 21-year-old freshmen are the norm now. So if you're a coach, these guys are not at the skill level. Okay, I'm going, again, Michigan is a whole different story with, with Owen Power and Bernays and, and that group. But most college teams win by keeping pucks out of their net. They don't win by going out and forcing the issue and playing aggressive offensive hockey so you come to okay the but how does that not translate to the nhl that's how you win in the nhl the teams it's it this isn't a fire wagon league right now no, it's not a fire wagon, but you the, have to manufacture five and six goals it the best defensive teams win the most consistently in this league it's also easier to play defense when you don't have three lines coming at you that can score 
it's you know that in college hockey, there's like two or three, four players on the great teams that you have to stop every night. You don't have to do wave after wave. And after it's not wave. just college; it's, it's probably in junior as well. But it's still, I mean, nobody steps from junior hockey for the most part straight onto an NHL bench to coach them. No, you make a pit stop in the American Hockey League, or you're an assistant in the NHL, and they they do not hand the keys to people outside of a fairly uh, tight group of former NHL coaches that just keep. I think teams are afraid to innovate. I really think that they are afraid to be that team yes. that takes that. I leap, agree. Leap the leap because of faith. Because it, it, it is cataclysmic. It when it doesn't work. work. Ask it's all like, the European head coaches. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. But everyone's getting fired if this doesn't work. Right. If this doesn't work, we are never trying this again <laughs> for 20 years because one person So easy failed. for us to sit here on microphones and yeah. go, well, why don't they do this? Well, I'll tell you. I'll give you a hundred reasons why. Well, well, you go back. If Jim Montgomery stays at the Dallas Stars head coach and it works, it probably opens the doors to other NCAA coaches to come up. Uh, that's, it's just, you know, if the Dallas Stars, going back to the year they lost to St. Louis, I guess 2016, when the Stars were outscoring everybody. If the Stars win that series and win the Stanley Cup, Sagan comes back to win the Stanley Cup, does the NHL become more of a, hey, let's try scoring? They won. They won with it. But no, the Stars lost in, this, in, the, in the, to St. Louis in the quarterfinals, and everyone's playing defensive hockey. You, you see this league is once one team does it and does it well, everybody follows that. The New Jersey Devils, hey, let's trap everyone to death. How long did that last? Decades. This is a team, this is a league that does not imitate. It does not, it imitates, it does not look to expand the horizons. Yeah, to, to a certain degree. The thing that gives me a little bit of hope, although it's painful for us in Starsland, you've had multiple teams now win back-to-back cups in the last little bit when that was not possible for a long time since the late nineties. And, uh, you know, if you look at that Pittsburgh team and then you look at Tampa now, I don't, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that, I mean, can you go out and just clone Crosby and, and make that happen? I mean, the goalie that was the hero in, in Pittsburgh can barely even stay in the league now. Like, even Tampa Bay, it was like, okay, they've got this, they've got that, and they had to manufacture these other things. Vasilevsky out of his mind in in the pipes, right? Like, but so so, is, do you just need your goalie to play off the planet? But it also helps that those teams look at Tampa last year. Savard was their number six defenseman. I mean, they had a ton. What I love about what Tampa did, I, I hate the fact they beat the Stars, is they went out and they said, "This is our window." We are going to add Blake Coleman. We're going to add the pieces we are missing so that our depth and what we need to do from 1 through 12 on the forwards is exactly where it needs to be. Our defense, 1 through 6, is exactly where we're going yeah, to be Yeah, but today. okay. But were they, were they copying someone or were they responding to getting clobbered by They, they learned the Columbus. hard way. It's, it's the carrot or the stick. They you know what the, I mean? Like, they, I, I yeah. don't know that it's, that it's cookie cutter and, and but, copycat but as how much many, as it is, okay, We've been building this for a while, and we need something. We need something different here to get over the hump. But how and ma- we need luck right. and, and how health. Many, and how many teams can have that depth? I mean, Tampa 
did a great job of drafting. Well, you need people. to suck for a while. Yeah, in order, like, and they, they're able to. It also you don't get Sidney Crosby unless you, and yeah. and Malkin and and Latang and these guys unless you suck for a while. Right, and Tampa. And the same thing with Tampa. You don't get Hedman. Hedman. Yeah. You don't get Stamkos unless you suck for a while. But you can suck for a while, and then you have to add the pieces together. We've True. seen we've seen teams suck for a while and continue to suck. True. I mean, that's that's sort of that's, the hope. It's the, this podcast is an example of that. <laughs> All right, uh, COVID. Dun, 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 dun. Very quickly, crystal ball me. How's it going to affect 2022? Like the, the short window, first three months of 2022. What is COVID going to affect? It's going to be affect the Olympics. That's going to be the big thing. I mean, I don't know how teams are going to get through it. Uh, the Stars have been very lucky so far after last year not being lucky. I think the NHL is going to have to go back to the, to the taxi squad. I think if you look at it, you got Carolina is going to be playing shorthanded. Uh, if it ravages the rooms, you're going to have major postponement issues, rescheduling issues. But you may have to go back to the taxi squad and have you need to have four or five people up here that, you know, salary cap be damned, that can step in and play. So we're not having these mass postponements and endings. But why would they have to have a taxi squad if the American Hockey League is playing? Because of the salary cap issues? If unless you can, well, you can change the salary cap. Yeah, well, then you have to change something. You can't. I, I don't think anybody. I don't think any of these teams want to bring up five kids and have them not play, right? And just practice for a while. That, that that's unhealthy. It's not good. We saw that last year. It's not good. Then maybe you change the salary cap yes. provisions or something. Something has to change. Imagine the gymnastics they have to do to get that done, though. For but they might have to. You're but, right. You know, it, it's a strange. Right. We're in a strange time. What what you can't have teams skating 16 people because then you talk about the injury factor and the fatigue factor they're going to have to make some kind of allowance i don't think the olympics are going to come off as possible as planned i can't see players and teams willing to go to beijing and risk being in quarantine did you hear what they expanded to like five weeks five weeks do you really if you're a player with a family do you really want to go to the olympics i've never understood why they're going in the first place like we our league has to shut. We're the only sport right. that has to shut down in season in order for our players to go to the Olympics. I'm all for them playing in the Olympics, but this just doesn't make any sense to me. It, it, it does to them somehow, I guess. Well, John Klingberg said the other day, the only thing that's missing, aside from the Stanley Cup, he's won a world junior, a world championship for Sweden. He wants the gold medal. That's important to him. For these players, a gold medal for your country is very important. Uh, but if you're running a business, which these NHL I want a puppy, are, but I can't get one. Right. If you're running a business, do you really want to put your best players at the behest of the IOC, which we all know is beyond? Well, they reproach. don't. We know yeah. that and they, they don't want to go. The players want to go. I think the European players are Scandinavian, Russian, more so than probably North American. Yeah. Although I, I'm talking out of my hind end on that. Uh, I just it. it it, it doesn't seem like a great experience to me. Like, even if you go and do it, your family can't be a part of it. You're not going to be allowed to go and experience the Olympic spirit and other sports and what have you. Why? You're going to go play games in an empty arena again. And, and do you really want to be at the mercy of the Chinese government deciding when you can go home? This seems like a bad idea to me. It, 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 seems very bad. Yeah. And, and... They're going to have an all-star game in Vegas just prior to that. Right. Where most of these guys that are going to go over there are, I would think, going to get selected to the NHL all-star game. You would hope. So uh, what are they going to do? Go to Vegas and sit in their hotel room, go over and play the game, and then jump on a plane, go to China and sit in their rooms and play games? Like, 
Really? It, it's just bad all around. It's yeah, I know. It's, it's unfortunate. It's yeah. terrible. Okay, let's end on a warm fuzzy. Okay. Here, Bruce. I love, love, love the teddy bear toss. I love it. This time of year, if you don't know what the teddy bear toss is, Google it. Go down a, a, one of those rabbit holes on, on YouTube and watch it. it. Basically, everybody brings a plush toy teddy bear to these junior games. I think it's uh, expanded into some minor pro. Quite a few. And even with, I thought when they put up the netting, it was going to end it because you'd, you'd have these poor teddy bears looking all mangled up in the netting. It'd be kind of sad and disturbing for some young kids at the game. Like the people who put teddy bears on the front of their pickup <laughs> yes, trucks? Yes, like yeah. that. But they managed to, to heave them onto the ice. And f- first time, the uh, first goal for the home side, everyone just explodes, throws them all on the ice. And then obviously it goes to charity and sick kids and whatever. It's just, it's fantastic. It looks phenomenal. Could it work? Could it work in at American Airlines Center and in the NHL? Could it work? Absolutely. But you better plan because the thing is at the minor league games and the juniors, sometimes you have three or 4,000 people. You get four or 500 teddy bears on a good night. You have a thousand, you, you clean up and go. Well, I think the Dallas Stars fans are very generous and very involved you could have six, 7,000 stuffed oh, they animals. they would embrace this. Yes, thrown on the ice. So it could it work? Absolutely. You better have plan A and plan B as to how fast can we get these animals well, off the junior, ice. Well, in junior, they they pull the uh, pickup trucks out onto right. the ice and they just bag them. And- you know, it's a sponsorship opportunity. Who wants to be the official cleaner-upper yeah. of teddy bear toss? Yeah. And you bring their vehicles on the ice, you load them up, and you get them off. But you better have you know the ice girls, the off-ice crew, everyone... Ready well, to yeah, go. you have a meeting, Bruce, yeah, yeah. prior to but it. Could it work? Absolutely. I think it would work and it would be fantastic. Yeah. I'd love the, go the the uh, stuffed animals, go to the Dallas Stars Foundation. They partner with charities to send it out. I think it's a win-win all around. That would look fantastic. Yeah. I I wanted to take point on this and get it going for a long time, but COVID came in and well, you know people in the organization. You're a big man in the stores world. Yeah, I'd like to do this. I want to make this happen. Does people. Brett Albert listen to the show? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, he's listening. I don't know. He probably gets, uh, the cliff notes, cliff notes yeah. version of what we said. This one, maybe not at all, but who knows? All right. Uh, this has been pretty good. Enjoy this. I've enjoyed this immensely. Yeah. This has Our been fun. Our hour's up. We got to go watch practice now. Yeah. Th- this is the problem. You have two guys who believe that, you know, if you stand in front of the goalie, that you should be allowed to be moved. This is what happens when old school gets together. It is. I've learned to be a little more new school, though, through the years. Have have you not? Yeah, I've learned to be a little more new school, but I, I still... I still have my tenets. I yeah. still have my foundation. I still have my things where I believe that if you go hard to the net, good things will happen. <laughs> you stick on the ice? Yeah. Big fist and what have you. Uh, a very central, heavy crucible continues. This is nuts, isn't it? St. Louis, Chicago, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Chicago, Christmas, Nashville, Colorado, Colorado, New Year's Eve. We're going to know a lot by the time the ball drops in New York, are we not? Yeah, by the time 2022 rolls around, we'll know if the Stars are ready to make a leap into the playoff picture permanently or if there's a lot of work to be done. And going full circle, the guys that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast are the guys who are going to drive the key to this. Yeah, they're going to drive the bus as to whether or not we're happy when the ball drops or going, boy, this team needs something and needs it fast. Well, the key to this is Jordan. Thanks for being here and doing this, my man. Former Lake Charles ice pirate, ice worker a what yeah 
That's one of the minor An leagues. Ice Pirate. Ice Pirate. R. Yeah. The casino was a big sponsor. Okay. I'm not making this up. All right. Thanks for doing this, Bruce. You Ice Pirate. Ice Gator. Do not conflate me with the two. <laughs> do not conflate me. Uh, and to all of you, get your shopping done for crying out loud. Consume Stars Hockey on the ticket on Bally and, of course, on DallasStars.com. Uh, we'll break out a holiday special spectacular next week. Till then, hashtag go stars. <laughs>